Coming up on the Rami V podcast, a wild Sunday in the NFL. It started with a kick return that everyone will remember for a long time in Buffalo and ended with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers being eliminated at home in Lambeau from the playoffs and a ton in between. We also had games on Saturday with major implications, and now the playoff picture is set. We talked about all of it and a whole lot more. Coming up next on the Rami V podcast. Stay tuned. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. An opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. Oh, you just said this is storybook. This is almost fate. I just can't believe what just happened. Josh Allen, the same thing. Six days removed from this. What a magical moment to kick off Sunday in the NFL. It's moments like those that remind you that sports are scripted. Um, I don't know if they actually are, but it's moments like that that feel like it. The emotion was palpable. The look on the face of Josh Allen was insane. Um, yeah, and it, it it's everything you want. It's everything you want to see. It's everything you want to be a part of. And you almost felt like it had to happen. And uh, if it was going to happen that way, it was going to happen that way. Uh, if it was going to happen anyway. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, welcome back to the Rami Lavi podcast. Episode 126. It's Sunday night. Just finished Sunday night football. Um, and there's a lot that we saw throughout the weekend. So I'm not going to start with the Buffalo and New England game, even though... It's kind of where I started. I just kind of wanted to play that off the top. I'm going to start in Green Bay in Wisconsin with what we ended the night with, Detroit and Green Bay. And I kind of told you how this would go. I told you that if the Lions were eliminated before this game, as everyone said, about 40 minutes before kickoff, we heard it a thousand times tonight. If they were eliminated before kickoff, I gave them the edge in this game. And once they were eliminated... I bet the Lions' money line was about 2-1. to one. It was 190-something. Because once they were eliminated, all the pressure was on Green Bay. And as the game went later, Chris Collinsworth mentioned, they said, if the Lions keep this game close, if they keep this game, if they keep hanging around, then guess what? The pressure just keeps building and building and mounting on the Packers. Whereas the Lions, it's pressure-free. They have nothing to play for anymore. It's just trying to knock out the Packers. Just one last knockout punch. They don't care either way. But for the Packers, the pressure mounted, and it didn't stop climbing, and it got to them, and that was it. They lost. Um, I don't know what to think anymore. I think Matt LaFleur will be fired. I think the problems in the red zone this year, the problems with the offense in general, the problems with Aaron Rodgers, obviously, the discipline of the team. We saw multiple mistakes made by the team that cost them yards, fumbles, cost them uh, big penalties, obviously the big penalty down in the red zone, which ultimately led to the Lions scoring the touchdown, all those things. And LaFleur talked about it after the game. He said, the first thing, that's we can't stand. That's the first thing we talk about in preseason, blah, blah, blah. You can talk about it all you want in the post-game press conference, but at the end of the day, your team was the one making the mistakes, and the team on the other side, the Lions, were the team that was more disciplined, that was better coached. You got out-coached uh, by Dan Campbell, and so I'm sorry. That's it. 
I'm not sure if you get another chance at this. I I really don't know what happens with this team. Christian Watson has proven himself. He finishes his rookie season. He's fantastic. He's an excellent wide receiver. Um, and there were a couple of things that I noticed in this game, and it's something that I listened to uh, Jeff Van Gundy talk about a lot, and something that I talk about a lot on this podcast. But I've talked about this earlier in the year. I talked about the plays that Dan Campbell calls and his fun trick plays or fun plays, if you want to call it, for his team and how the team loves them and they rally behind them and all that good stuff. And all that stuff is true. And we've seen it dozens of times. But it's so easy to play the results with those plays when you go for it on fourth down to ice the game. And by the way, that was the right move. Whether they got the picked up the first down to ice the game or not, it was the right move to go for it. In a four-point game in that spot of the field, nothing to lose, no playoffs on the line for you, of course you go for it there. But calling a play a pitch play where you throw a screen pass and then pitch it to the guy behind you where so much can go wrong in traffic, all the different things, the fumble, if the Packers pick that up and return that for a touchdown, like losing the game that way would have been pathetic, right? So it's so easy to play the results with Dan Campbell and for the last few weeks, everything with him has gone right. And early in the season, things were going poorly. That's why they were one in six. So while everything looks happy and good, I'm not saying this to take down the lines. I am so impressed by what they did in the last few weeks. I'm so impressed by Jared Goff. That throw that he made was incredible. They did everything they had to do to win this game, but I think Dan Campbell will also learn that sometimes you just have to do the things that are a little bit more traditional, the things that are the right decisions. And you can fault the Packers for going for it on fourth down in the red zone, not kicking a field goal early. All those things, like I said, everything that you're going to nitpick from this type of game is going to be playing the results. When you look at it from a standpoint of what happened at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it was the Lions that made the right plays. They made enough plays to win this game, and the Packers didn't. And really, Aaron Rodgers didn't. Aaron Rodgers had opportunities in this game. He missed a couple throws. Yes, he was hit a lot. But this was the story of the season. Aaron Rodgers, for a lot of times, a lot of parts of the season, looked like himself. And a lot of parts of the season, he looked angry. He looked upset at his teammates. He looked like he was blaming everyone else. But at the same time, just wasn't playing up to the standard that we're used to seeing Aaron Rodgers play at. And that leads to the ultimate question. What happens now? We obviously saw the end of the game where they're kind of parading him off the field. The media, they're videoing him, him and Randall Cobb walking off. Everyone was talking about him arm in arm. And I think Aaron Rodgers is kind of a showman. And I think... He's kind of playing it up more than he has to because he likes the attention. He likes the conversation to be around him in the offseason. And it will be, which it should be because he's one of the best players. And he's kind of made himself into almost like an NBA player where every year, kind of like LeBron did for years, he signs these one-year contracts and they hold their breath every year. And he's under contract for a while now, but every year it's going to be the Packers holding their breath. What's he going to do? And at some point, the Packers are going to stop holding their breath and they're going to say, we're not going to be held hostage by you. And by the way, Rodgers sounded very mature in the postgame. He sounded like, I'm not going to hold the team hostage. I'm going to make a decision with the team. We're going to work together. All the things he said, he actually said all the right things. He answered all the difficult questions and he actually praised the media. He said, you guys, I respect the job that you guys are doing. I respect everything you guys have done throughout my career. You guys have to ask these hard questions. I totally understand it. Like, He didn't sound like a guy who was trying to get his way. He almost sounded like a guy who is like reflecting, who was like, okay, this might be over. And that leads me to my thought. And this is just my initial thoughts, watching everything, watching his post-game press conference. And I I waited to record to listen to some of that post-game press conference. I think Aaron Rodgers is retiring. That's my, just my initial feelings on this. Um, I don't think it'll be tomorrow. I don't think it'll be later this week. Like he said, I think it'll be probably closer to middle of February. I don't see him playing anywhere else. Like we talked about with my father when he said um, that he doesn't want to pull the Favre and go to the Jets. Or, you know, he's been trying his whole career to get out of the shadow of Favre. And I think winning a Super Bowl and the success he had in Green Bay obviously gets him out of the quote-unquote shadow of Favre. But the comparison and him sitting behind him will always be there. And I think Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to do that. I don't think he wants to go somewhere else. I don't think he wants to have to start new and start over and do it with a whole different regime and system and fan base and everything that goes along with that, whether it's the Jets, whether it's Minnesota, whether it's anywhere else. And by the way, I would take him on the Jets tomorrow. 
I think there are certain things, the change of scenery, the new wide receivers, I think him coming into camp motivated in a new place. I think all those things would be very good for Aaron Rodgers. And I think we'd see the best version of Aaron Rodgers, which I don't, if I'm being honest, yes, I'm a Rodgers fan. We did not see the best version of Aaron Rodgers this year. That's just a fact. Yet still with all that, um, I don't think it's going to happen. If I had to put money on it today, I think Aaron Rodgers, I think this was the last game he ever plays. It sucks to see him go out like this. It sucks to see him go out like this, especially with the season. I think um, I think it was Chris Sims who said afterwards, you hear him talking about the young receivers in Green Bay and how they're second year. So yeah, maybe he'll go back to Green Bay and he sees the growth of Christian Watson, sees the growth of Romeo Dobbs. By the way, we always talk about them going from Favre to Rodgers. Almost as impressive as going from Favre to Rodgers, going Jordy Nelson to Devontae Adams to Christian Watson. Like boom, boom, boom. Those are all world-class receivers. Really impressive stuff. And that's just a franchise that just has a knack for drafting wide receivers. So yeah, maybe he goes there. But I don't think he was more referring to him having success with the team. I think he was saying, yeah, I think there will be success for this team beyond me. We see what the defense looks like. Yeah, they probably have to bring in a young quarterback. But we see what this looks like right now. And to me, this doesn't look like a guy who's fully bought in, who's fully invested anymore. And we saw it with Brady And as the season went on, Brady got more and more invested. You have to be fully invested in this league if you're going to be successful. And I don't know if he wants to go somewhere else and become reinvested somewhere else or if he wants to take a hard, deep look at himself and say, I'm going to give it one real shot here in Green Bay and try and win. Or if he just says, I've had enough. I'm and he said that I'm proud of what I've accomplished. I don't he didn't say he was content with what he accomplished, but he said He's okay with what he accomplished. He's very proud of what he accomplished. He takes pride in his career. And I don't think he has anything left to prove. And I don't think he feels that he has anything left to prove. And so I, like I said today, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be returning to the Packers, to the NFL. I think he retires. If he goes anywhere, it will be the Packers. I think he comes back to the Packers. But I think he's retiring. That's personal. Like I said about Jared Goff, that throw, the last play, on the flip side of it, obviously, you have to talk about the Lions and give them credit. Jamison Williams, I know that touchdown got called back. He's going to be a real player in this league for a long time. He looked really good. And here's the thing. You started 1-6 and six and you finished 9-8. and eight. That's what hope looks like. That's what moving in the right direction. That's what Dan Campbell getting this defense to turn around later in the season to buy in. That's what Aiden Hutchinson developing into one of the best players in the league and one of the most impactful players in the league looks like. And then you have the other side. The Jets side of it is the exact opposite, and I know they didn't play each other, but starting 7-4 and four and then ending 7-10, and 10, losing six consecutive, the defense in the biggest games folding as opposed to stepping up in the biggest games, not all steps in the right direction. Because if you look at these two teams, these were two teams that were awful a couple years ago, made big trades, or in the Lions case, they made a big trade. Obviously, with the Jets, they bring in a new head coach. Both teams bring in new head coaches. Last year, still a dumpster fire, and this year theoretically if you look at it it's like well one team went improved by four or five wins they went to seven and ten the other team improved to nine and eight but both teams didn't make the playoffs it's just taking a step in the right direction but not all step in the right direction quote-unquote seasons are created equal and for the Jets when you start seven and four seven and ten is not good enough to end the season Salah continued to make more mistakes yeah there, there were more discipline issues for the team there were more mistakes with managing the clock with not running up to the line. You saw Flacco and, and Garrett Wilson getting frustrated repeatedly with certain things that were happening on the sideline because they were ahead of this team. They were on a different... Flacco's played for a real coaching staff. Whether Flacco has the ability to be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback anymore, he played in a Super Bowl caliber franchise and organization for so many years. And he was getting so frustrated with the dysfunction today. And you could see it over and over again, having to waste timeouts because the team wasn't ready. The team not getting so many bad coaching things that fall strictly and squarely on coaching. Braden Mann continuing to be out there shanking punts one after the other. I mean, there are so many things that come back to the coach. And after the game, the same excuses about how next I know that next year when we're in this position, We're going to succeed. How do you know you're going to be in this position next year? Because I just know this team is talented. Well, somebody should have asked the follow-up question to Robert Sala when he said that, because that's what he said. Somebody should have asked the follow-up of, well, if this team is so talented and is talented enough to get in this position next year, maybe the failure is on you. Maybe the failure is on the head coach. 
in which case, why do you deserve to come back next year? If it's all about the talent of the team, and that's the reason why you know you'll be in the same position to actually improve and have a 7-4 and four record, but actually build on it to become a winning team and become a playoff team, why do you deserve the chance to be the one leading the team if you couldn't get the team to that place, this team that you called a talented team, why do you deserve to be the one leading this team? And here's the thing. I agree. It's not a good look to be firing head coaches every few months. I agree. It's not the right thing. You don't want to be that team that's always firing and hiring every two years. But look, the Giants did it a couple of years ago. It didn't, wasn't a good look to hire and fire Joe Judge the way they did. But they had to do it. It wasn't a good look with Ben McAdoo. All these things. But why delay the inevitable? This is what we always talk about. Why would you delay the inevitable? If you believe Robert Sala is not the guy and everything he's shown us is that he's not the guy, then why delay what's eventually going to happen, which is just him being fired? I was hoping today was going to be worse. It wasn't that bad. The game wasn't that bad. They lost 11-6. It was a weird game. They didn't score at all. The defense kept them in it. Exactly kind of the script that we had at the beginning of the season, although it's against Skylar Thompson. But if you think he's not the guy, and I, like I said, I hoped it would be worse because I thought if a real implosion happened, then they would for sure move off of Salah. But why delay the inevitable? Something I didn't mention on last episode when I talked about this was Sam Darnold. With Sam Darnold, the Jets weren't sure after two years. And by the way, I'm still not sure about Sam Darnold. Today, he, I mean, he won a game, but did he still look like Sam Darnold, you know? They weren't sure after two years with Sam Darnold, and so they decided to give him the third year. And they decided not to draft a quarterback in a draft that had Justin Herbert, that had Tua Tungvaluwa, whatever you think of him, that had Joe Burrow. And they decided to stick with Sam Darnold and wait till he fully imploded. Why do you have to wait for the wheels to fall off completely in order to move on? Why can't you be competent enough to look at a situation and say, this is not going to work. We don't have to wait till the wheels fall off and it gets completely and utterly dysfunctional in order to make a move. And I think with Salah, he's shown enough that he's not the guy. And that's that's just what I think. Now, what will the Jets do? Because this is going to be classic. And Woody Johnson already said he declined to speak to media representatives at the game today, but he said he's going to be speaking to the media at some point this week. And I'm terrified. My guess, because this is just how the Jets function, what they should do is they should fire Salah. They should try and make a move for one of the big-name head coaches. If McVay is available, I don't know. His future is in doubt. I don't know if that means he's going to a different team, he's going to TV, he's retiring for now, whatever that means. If it's Sean Payton, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the piece he did on Fox with Peter Schrager, which I thought was fantastic. Whether it's Jim Harbaugh, whoever the, the guy is that is going to be the head coach, I think you try and get one of those big names. That's my opinion. I think you should bring in a quarterback, maybe like Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe even Lamar Jackson. Try and get a real quarterback up in here. But here's what's probably going to happen. They're going to keep Salah. They'll keep Mike LaFleur. They'll fire Joe Douglas. Somehow they'll blame Zach Wilson's failure on him that they drafted the wrong guy, which we know Zach Wilson. Everyone knows Zach Wilson was the head coach's pick because he fell in love with him and they had to get the splashy guy because the previous regime set them up for failure by winning a meaningless game late in the season, which we're also going to talk about a little bit later in this episode. And that's why they didn't get Trevor Lawrence. So Zach Wilson, I mean, you can't even put that on Joe Douglas and every other pick that he's made in the last two years actually has worked out really well for the Jets. Got into an argument on Twitter with someone about this. Apparently this guy on Twitter thinks that every single draft pick you make has to be a pro bowler in order for it to be a successful draft pick. Sometimes solid NFL players are also good draft picks. Guys like both Michael Carters, guys like Elijah Moore. So, yes, I think Woody Johnson is going to blame Joe Douglas for Zach Wilson, fire Joe Douglas, and bring in Derek Carr and keep solid. That's exactly how I think this will go because that's what the Jets franchise do. They do the always perfectly wrong thing, and I can't wait. I'm so excited. On the other side, Miami, congrats to them. They make the postseason. This is the first time all three Florida teams actually have been in the postseason since 1999. So Jacksonville obviously wins it. They win the division on uh, Saturday night. And Miami makes it to the playoffs today. And obviously the Bucks have won the division. They won it last week. Um, it feels like Mike McDaniel still would be fired, if you ask me. Uh, I guess not tomorrow, but it feels like that might really happen. 
Um, and we'll get to all the coaches who might be fired a little bit later because it's actually a crazy list when you think about it, uh, how many coaches could potentially uh, be fired in the NFL. But do you really think making the playoffs for Mike McDaniel and this Miami team was what they wanted? It didn't feel like they actually wanted to win this game or make the playoffs. This just means another week of having to answer questions about Tua, probably say he's not starting. You probably can't start him, like I said, and like we talked about. How could you start Tua at this point? The kid has put his life at risk enough and doesn't feel like the type of thing you want to keep doing if you're the Miami Dolphins. But the questions are going to be out there, and it's going to be more of just Mike McDaniel in the public light with the way he answers and the way he talks. It doesn't feel like a positive thing that he's going to be exposed more to the media because you won a game 11 to 6 against the Jets. I guess they probably will start Teddy Bridgewater in the playoff game, but I just think like they're going to get blown out in Buffalo. And the crazy part is that we're not so far removed from a game that they actually hung with Buffalo in Buffalo and looked really good in Buffalo and had a real chance to win that game. And to think about where we went from there to where this team is now, and I know that was in the midst of a bad losing streak, and yet still that felt like a win compared to where they stand uh, right now and it feels like almost like they're playing that last game in Buffalo as the playoff game just kind of playing out a string and we talked about this with the seven seed in these playoffs it's kind of going to feel like that some of these seven seed teams don't even feel like real playoff teams speaking of the playoffs Cincinnati and Baltimore played for a, I guess it was technically playoffs on the line and playing out a string uh, the Ravens felt like they were playing out a string they sat everyone today but not in like a rest way it felt more like a let's just get this season over with kind of way. I I don't, maybe I'm the only one who feels that way, but it didn't feel like the type of thing where it's like, oh, we want to just rest our guys and not show our full playbook. We want to be ready for Cincinnati. The way Harbaugh is talking in the media, the way, I don't know, everything just feels really wrong there. I don't understand why they're playing on Sunday night. I don't think Lamar is going to play. I don't think Lamar ever plays again for the Ravens. And I don't think he's playing on Sunday night in the playoffs. I think Lamar's gone. I think DaCosta should be gone. Every single team, for some reason, figured out a way to draft wide receivers. If you're the Packers, you drafted Dobbs and Watson. If you're the Jets, you have Elijah Moore. And you have, obviously, Garrett Wilson. We saw Jamison Williams to the Lions. All these receivers, Drake London. Every single one of these teams has figured out a way, Chris Olave, to draft a wide receiver a young wide receiver. And if you didn't draft a wide receiver, then you traded up for a wide receiver, Devonte Adams. Obviously you also, uh, Tyree kill all those teams, right? So there's plenty of wide receivers either through free agency, through draft, uh, or through trades. And yet the Ravens have drafted wide receiver plenty of times. And yet they have no good wide receivers on this team. It's like the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots spend more money than any other team in the NFL on the wide receiver and tight end position combined and yet have the worst wide receivers and tight ends. The Ravens continuously spend on these wide receivers or draft capital, not money, but they continuously spend draft capital on wide receivers and yet they have zero wide receivers. That's unacceptable if you're the Baltimore Ravens. There's no excuse for that if you're the Ravens. And so in my opinion... Eric DaCosta should be the guy to pay for that. Was the Roquan Smith trade excellent bringing that guy in? Yes. But there's a serious mishap on this team. And by the way, the way it was handled, and I know Lamar Jackson, it's difficult. He doesn't have an agent. But the way that was handled with him not getting a contract done before this season or even before last season and avoiding this whole problem that came in with the guaranteed money that happened only after this offseason with Deshaun Watson, he could have avoided that whole thing. That kind of falls on DaCosta. I think Greg Roman will be fired too, the offensive coordinator, because he's the least creative offensive coordinator ever. The fact that Isaiah likely was incredible today and the fact that we didn't see him all year alongside him playing on the outside with Andrews playing on the inside. That way you can't double Andrews over the middle. You have another big body option over the middle, especially with how bad the wide receivers are. just makes no sense. Do I think we'll see that against Cincinnati in the playoff game next week? No, I don't. And it just feels like a mess in Baltimore. It feels like, yeah, they have a playoff game. And there's one in one week, everything can change. By the way, this goes for Miami also. In one week, everything can change. If Miami beats Buffalo somehow, if Baltimore beats Cincinnati somehow, and Lamar's back and everything looks great, then all of a sudden, the entire thing flips. But I don't think that'll happen for either one of these teams. 
Um, for Cincy, I'm not so worried about them. They haven't played complete games. We've seen this now for a few weeks in a row. Obviously, they have one game that gets cut short on Monday Night Football, so forget about that game. By the way, seeing 12-4 and four and 13-3 and three for Cincinnati and Buffalo's record just felt normal. It was like, oh, cool, 16 games. That's what the records are supposed to look like. Obviously, I, I guess I'm not so good with change. Um, but Cincinnati, obviously, the game against New England where they play half a game and then let the comeback happen in the second half. The game in, against Tampa Bay where they're down early in the first half and come back in the second half. So we haven't seen them put full games together again in this game. What were they up 24 to seven, something like that before the Ravens came all the way back and had a chance, a legitimate chance to try and go win this game. Um, so yeah, it didn't look great for Cincinnati throughout the whole time, but I think they have the negative effect of the DeMar Hamlin situation where it was on their field, where it affected them. Also, they were there. They didn't get to play that full game. They have, the mental aspect of it, which is huge, which is a big part of this. Now that DeMar is really seems like he's on the mend and coming back. Um, I think the mental aspect for the teammates and everyone involved uh, is a huge aspect of this. Um, and you have that aspect without the motivation of, oh, we're playing for our guy. We're playing for our teammate. So it's kind of an interesting spot that Cincinnati is in. And I hope they can recover in time for the playoffs and I think next week they will be in a better space and after a full week of practice I actually think they'll blow the doors off of Baltimore on Sunday night uh in the postseason speaking of DeMar Hamlin and being up and then we'll get I told you we'd get to this game Buffalo and New England Buffalo wins 35 to 23 the honoring of the medical staff before the game was fantastic the moment for DeMar before the game was fantastic everything the way the league handled this and by the way I mean I could come out here and be negative and say, oh, the league turned this into a PR stunt. They turned this into positive PR for the league. They had the interview uh, with Goodell on the field. All those things are true. That's true. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's not great. Both things can be true. It could be that they turned it into a PR stunt and they did all these things to make themselves look good. But yet it was really well done and they did a great job. And that's what the NFL continuously does, whether it's genuine or not. They make you feel like it's real and they get it right every time. And so credit the NFL, uh, credit where credit's due. By the way, DeMar Hamlin just seems like an all-time dude. Um, he now has uh, Did We Win t-shirts with a picture of hands making a heart, that uh, he, which was what he did to the team um, when they first saw him. And he's selling the t-shirts to raise money for the ICU workers in, uh, in Cincinnati to donate to the ICU workers in Cincinnati who saved his life at the trauma center there really just seems like a great dude. And, and for the fact that he wasn't a guy who was a household name and the fact that his story is being shared through all this and we're seeing, uh, what an actual good dude he's being highlighted. I, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think that he, uh, needed to be highlighted because he, he really has been a light to the world and people have just gravitated to this. And I think it's, uh, I, I think it's moved a lot of people. And I think that's important. Um, when we try and find things to latch off to now, the kickoff return just felt like a moment, the, the way the crowd reacted, um, the way Jim Nance and Tony Romo reacted the second time, the second kickoff, the way Josh Allen was reacting on the sideline. Um, you knew Bill Belichick wasn't going to go down easy with a playoff spot on the line. He was going to hang in there. They were up 17, 14 at some point in this game. And I actually cashed out of my bet at that point. Um, Josh Allen and the Bills offense looked like an offense that hadn't practiced in a week, which is true and hadn't played a full game in longer than that. So yeah, it didn't look great actually for the bills all day but they found a way to win um for a team with no practice it could have been worse and at the end of the day new england was knocked out and that's rightfully so because new england was not a particularly good team and when you look at the team you take a deeper look at it uh the offense isn't very good i think the quarterback took a major step back which is a real problem for them um and the defense and special teams wasn't that good either they just had a major cover-up in the fact that the defense and special team was one of the best scoring defenses and special teams in the league. They had something like seven or eight pick sixes this year. They had multiple kick returns uh, in the punt game and, and also in the uh, kick return game for touchdowns. So they were one of the top scoring defenses and special teams this season, and that kind of covered up a lot, of, a lot of the warts. But they, I think rightfully slow, were knocked out of the playoffs. A team that started slow but also finished strong but was knocked out of the playoffs. Similar a lot to... Um, 
the Detroit Lions was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, again, a world-class organization. Mike Tomlin gets his winning season. He still doesn't have a losing season in his career. So he gets to 9-8. and eight. Unfortunately, they get knocked out. But if you look at this team, you look at Pickens and Johnson and Fryermuth. Those are three, obviously, the two wide receivers and the tight end. Talk about it with the Ravens not being able to draft wide receivers. The Pittsburgh Steelers were able to draft so many receivers. They were able to let Juju Smith-Schuster go for nothing. They were able to trade Chase Claypool for basically nothing because they have such a, a depth at that position because they keep just drafting the right guys. And it's not like they're spending huge, super high draft picks on these guys, but Pickens and Johnson and Claypool and, and Schuster, all these guys, it's one after the other. They don't stop drafting these top receivers. Now they have Fryermuth, they have Najee Harris, they also have Warren, the running back. And Kenny Pickett looks like at times he can really be the guy. So if he can continue to develop into the quarterback, this is just what good organizations do. Yeah, 9-8 and eight didn't make the playoffs, but 9-8, and eight, a winning season. And it feels like they'll be right back in the mix next season uh, when we when all comes down to it. On the other side of it, obviously, Cleveland has a lot of issues. Uh, and I don't know if anyone's safe in that organization. Then we go from a great organization to a terrible organization, Houston and Indianapolis, two of them, in fact. Uh, and Houston, I mean, the late heroics in this game, fantastic. A fourth and 20, they score a touchdown on a fourth and 20 with 50 seconds left in the game, and then get the two-point conversion. And the Texans didn't even wait till like more than three hours after the game. They fired Lovey Smith immediately. The fight, or sorry, the tweet was hilarious that I saw. It said fight till the end. That's why I said fight. I'm tired. It's late. <laughs> um, but the tweet, the team put out a tweet. The Houston Texans put out a tweet that said fight till the end, something like that, which is like so I like ironic. Like, no, you shouldn't have been fighting. But here's the problem. And I kind of talked about this with Gase a bunch of years ago. If you didn't want the coach to coach for his job, to be coaching, if you didn't want the team to win that game, then you should have fired the coach. With Adam Gase, when they beat the LA Rams that season, this is you're you're coaching to prove that you didn't lose the locker room. You're coaching to show on tape for your next job and say, look, no matter what, my guys didn't give up. No matter what, we were three and thirteen, but I kept fighting. I kept putting my all out there. So if you don't want to win that game, then you have to fire a guy like Lovey Smith, who's a prideful guy. Of course he's gonna try and win that game. So you should have fired him first. Waiting till after the game was your fault. So that's, you're just a bad organization for not firing him before that. And for Luffy, he knew he was canned anyway. So why should he care to try and win the game? Of course he should try and win the game. He doesn't care about the draft pick or the future of the organization. He has no loyalty to a team. He was there one season. That's it. It's over. He's canned. And they fired him right after the game. That's just another bad organization. And this is not a guy like Robert Sala who's not proven. You brought in a guy like Lovey Smith. You wanted him to change the culture and turn things around. You thought that all of a sudden this year things were just going to turn around and the organization was going to change in one year and the players were somehow going to get better? No. And within one season, he's gone again. And again, you have four head coaches in the last four seasons. That's not a particularly good organization. The team that does get the first overall pick as Houston literally threw away the first overall pick. They throw it to Chicago, who lost to Minnesota 29-13. to And the question is, do they trade the pick or do they trade the guy who can't really throw the football and is going to get himself hurt in Justin Fields? I think that's a realistic option, and I think it's something we'll talk about when we talk about all the quarterback landing spots and all the different positions because there's no point for Chicago to have the first overall pick and other teams going to want to go. Probably Houston is going to want to trade up and get a quarterback. So if Houston's knocking on the door, maybe even Tennessee's knocking and saying, hey, we want a quarterback. Maybe you trade Justin Fields to Tennessee. I kind of like that. I don't know. Have him run a couple years with Derrick Henry. That could be fun. They could practice, see who throws better. I take Henry. I, I'm kind of making fun of Fields, but I just haven't been impressed with his ability to throw the football. Maybe he can throw. Maybe a coach can unlock him. On the other side of this, congratulations to Minnesota. You're 13-4, and four, no one believes in you, and no one really cares that you're 13-4. and four. It's kind of pathetic, but they're the only team to come out of the NFC North to make the playoffs. When we talked about going into the season, maybe the Bears are a little frisky. The Lions, second year Dan Campbell, they go 9-8. and eight. But yeah, think about it. There are two teams who are over 500 in this division, and neither of them were the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers didn't win the division, and they didn't make the playoffs. Speaking of no one believing in you, I don't believe in Dallas. Dallas is 12-5. and 
They had a bunch of games without Dak Prescott. They had a bunch of big wins where they piled on. And every single week, people would say to me, why do you have them so low in your power rankings? Dallas, Dallas. Well, guess what? Dallas in a game that didn't mean anything for them, but they had all their starters in, came out and lost to Washington 26-6. to That's why I don't believe in Dallas, because I've watched Dak Prescott play. Dak Prescott led the league in interceptions despite missing three to four games this season. I'm going to go through an exercise on Wednesday. I'm going to give my power rankings of the playoff teams. And I don't know how high up Dallas is going to be. They lost to Sam Howell. Is Sam Howell the new guy? It feels like Washington whips a guy out every couple of years. Obviously, Kirk Cousins was the OG. But even Heineke, it felt like, oh my God, maybe we have our guy. Is Sam Howell now that next guy that is maybe the guy? And Dallas, like, if you're a Cowboy fan, be honest with yourself for a second. You really think there's any chance you're going into Tampa beating the Bucks? I don't see it. I just don't. I know you have Micah Parsons. He's going to be all over Tom Brady all day, and that's the X factor in that game. His Tampa defense is legit, and Brady looks like he's starting to get it together over the last few weeks. I don't know. I, I just, like I said, I don't see it. I, I don't see any way that Dallas is winning a playoff game this year. Speaking of the Bucks, the Bucks did lose, but they're up 17-14 to 14 on Atlanta, and then Brady sat. He looked good, came out, and that was the end of the game. I actually bet Tampa, and then when they were up, I cashed out. By the way, I also t- bet New England, and when they were up 17-14, I cashed out of that bet too. Good day for your boy. Great day for your boy betting. Just an all-time gambling day for Rami Levy. A team that we didn't mention and deserves some credit is Seattle. Seattle makes the playoffs and just one of the best stories all year in the NFL. They beat the Rams. It wasn't pretty. 19-16. to Yes, they lost steam towards the end of the year. It didn't look like the team that they looked like at the beginning of the year. Geno's kind of turned back into the pumpkin. Kind of doesn't look that great, but... McVay, that's the big story. Can't wait to talk about that for the next nine months because now he just floats it out there the day of the game that I might be leaving. I guess that's put it put some pressure on Baker Mayfield. Hey, buddy, <laughs> you better look good because otherwise I'm walking. Well, I'd bet that McVay might be walking or I don't know. I don't know what happens with McVay. Um, like I said, they still win that trade. Everyone was talking about Jared Goff was traded. He was he just everyone thought he'd be gone. And by the way, everyone thought he would be gone. Everyone thought Jared Goff was traded so that eventually the Lions could just kick him to the curb and you know pick whatever quarterback was coming out of the draft. That's not what happened. Jared Goff has actually, if he decides to leave Detroit, he'll get money elsewhere. I would take him as the Jets quarterback today. Um, and if he decides to stay long term in Detroit, he might be the quarterback that they build around in Detroit. He's earned that right. Um but still, L.A. won the trade. L.A. won a Super Bowl. That's the ultimate goal in this thing. Having Jared Goff doesn't guarantee you a Super Bowl, even if you have him for the next 15 years and they're competitive for the next 15 years. Maybe they win five division titles. Maybe they win 15 playoff games. But that still doesn't guarantee you a Super Bowl. And so the ultimate goal is to win a Super Bowl. L.A. gets that in the first year. And now McVay takes a major step back. And maybe he could say, okay, I'll go to TV or I'll retire for a couple of years. I'm still very young. Maybe I'll go to a different job. Maybe a change of scenery, something. And that's it. I'm not, I'm not shocked by this. I'm not blown away. For Geno Smith, he makes the playoffs. I'm, I'm impressed. I really am. I, good for them. They do it without Jamal Adams, obviously. And congrats to Pete Carroll. I'm, I'm really happy for Pete Carroll because I think the last few years of Russell Wilson kind of tarnished the Pete Carroll name and legacy obviously deciding to throw it when he did in the Super Bowl all those years ago, uh, kind of tarnished Pete Carroll's legacy. But I think trading away your franchise quarterback and making the playoffs in the first year that he's gone and clearly winning the trade the way they did and having a rebuilding team and making the playoffs with them, I think that's a real testament to Pete Carroll. And I think that's as big of a resume builder. And I said this earlier in the season on one of the videos on my Instagram, that has gone viral now, but I think that is one of the most impressive things that Pete Carroll has done. And one of the most, I think like, if you look at the different the career and what solidifies his career more than anything, and Pete Carroll's an older guy, we don't know how much longer he's going to be doing this, but I think one of the things that solidifies the career of Pete Carroll, and this could be his last season, if we're being honest, um, I think Pete Carroll, this run with this team was, and even if they lose, Next week, they lose. Uh, okay. This is one of the most impressive things he's done. Speaking of congrats, congrats, Philly. You get the one seed. 
kind of fizzled at the end of the year, but you didn't have your starting quarterback. You lost a lot of guys. Almost almost melted down against the Giants after having a 19-0 lead. But they avoid the meltdown. They win 22-16. David Blau showed some balls in this game. Kenny Galladay got a touchdown. He only needed like 71 more touchdowns, I think, to hit his uh, his incentive for his contract. So good for him. Um, he won't get that. <laughs> I guess he didn't get it already. But you get the one seed, and now you got to regroup. I mean, you got your quarterback back. You got the MVP Jalen Hurts back. But now it's time to regroup. It's a new season. You're going to have a bye week. <laughs> I mean, they got to come out better than they played today if they're going to actually make noise in the playoffs. Uh, and I still think they can. I still think they can get it together. The games I didn't watch, Denver and the Chargers, San Francisco and Arizona. Although I did notice that game on uh, Red Zone for a second. It looked like Cliff Kingsbury needs a tan. And New Orleans and Carolina. Although I said I was going to talk about this. New Orleans and Carolina, both teams that could use a head coach. And the former head coach of New Orleans is Sean Payton. And I loved what they did on Fox. I mentioned this earlier. I said I was going to talk about it. Peter Schrager and Sean Payton on Fox. And that's been one of the biggest stories. Is Sean Payton, where is he going to go? What does his future look like? And there's a lot of speculation. And instead of letting letting everyone else speculate, and you completely ignore it and pretend the story doesn't exist, Fox decided, no, we have this asset. We have the story. We quite literally have the story himself. And instead of letting everyone else make him into a story and use our story that we literally have. We're going to use the story ourselves. And they did in one of the best ways. They had a segment. It was about three minutes of just Peter Schrager talking to Sean Payton and discussing all the different options for where he could go. It sounds like he didn't rule new Orleans bat out of him going back to new Orleans. It sounds like he would be interested in coaching. He definitely wants to coach, not necessarily this year. He talked about what it would mean and how he would have to get traded. He talked about looking at, does he look at a quarterback? Does he look at a roster situation? Does he look at Tom Brady and potentially pairing himself with one of these quarterbacks who could potentially be on the move in Tom Brady? Uh, it's Derek Carr, maybe even Aaron Rodgers, one of those guys. Um, he talked about all those things. He talked about continuing to work in TV for the next year, but he talked about it himself and he said all the different possibilities. And it was just interesting to listen to so go find that on fox from the the fox pregame show uh, a couple of games i missed by the way saturday there were games on saturday kansas city they're just toying with everyone when they did that little dance around and then threw the touchdown i was like oh right they're just playing with you and once the playoffs start they're gonna be like we're here and we're ready to win another super bowl it feels like they're gonna go on a run kansas city wins 31 to 13 and jacksonville against tennessee jacksonville wins the division Congrats to Jacksonville. Tennessee used every trick play and every physical advantage to the max that they could have. But at the end of the day, they couldn't match the talent. And as great a coach as Mike Vrabel is, um, I, I love him. I think he'll reboot. He'll try and find the quarterback. I mentioned Justin Fields earlier. Maybe that's where they go. Trevor Lawrence is great. Trevor Lawrence is a really good quarterback. He wasn't good in this game, in his biggest game of his career. But it's the first huge game he's out of his career. I think he'll look better in the playoff game. He'll be hosting a playoff game as they are the division winner. The defense was fantastic. Josh Allen, uh, the defensive end, was incredible. And he was the difference in that game. And congrats, you won the division. And by the way, Salah, take that. Year one, Doug Peterson. So maybe coaching does matter. Maybe it is about the head coach. Maybe it is an instant coffee league, like you called it. Because the first year, Doug Peterson, look what happened. It's a head coach. You see what the difference is between an incompetent head coach last year with Urban Meyer and a real competent head coach with Doug Peterson. They go from being a dumpster fire. And I, the article I wrote, and I, I'll read it maybe one episode, uh, maybe on Wednesday's episode or Friday's episode. I'll read the article I wrote a year ago at this time about Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. Uh, a year removed from that, look at what they look like now with Doug Peterson. They won the division and they're going to be hosting a playoff game. Speaking of head coaches, tomorrow, or I guess now today, is Black Monday. There's going to be a lot of vacancies. So here are some of the potential vacancies. I think Las Vegas and Josh McDaniels is safe because they're paying too many guys for no, for no other reason. I didn't think it was enough of a mess, and I thought I really thought Derek Carr was so bad that you kind of have to give Josh McDaniels another chance. Carolina fired their head coach months ago in Matt Rule, but Steve Wilkes... Definitely deserves a shot because of how well the team played and how well the team fought for him to close out the season. How good Sam Darnold looked. Uh, I thought the team looked really good under him. 
uh, and how they played out the rest of the season. So he's going to at least get a shot there in Carolina. And I heard their name floated around for Lamar Jackson as well. Denver obviously fired Hackett. We'll see where they go. I talked about Mike LaFleur in Green Bay. I think that's a real possibility there. I think Arizona and is all but done with Cliff Kingsbury. I think Ron Rivera got himself fired last week with that press conference in Washington. Uh, Lovey Smith obviously fired tonight already. I don't think Houston or I don't think, sorry, Saturday is the guy in Indianapolis. A sneaky one that actually Jason Lock and Fora uh, was telling me about is Kevin Stefanski. He doesn't think he's safe. And I'm saying that I'm using Lock and Fora's name because he said it on the air. So this is not uh, news that I'm breaking news here, but he's talked about this on the air. Uh, he doesn't think Stefanski is safe, but it's Cleveland's crazy. I don't see why he wouldn't be safe. He had a, you know, carousel of quarterbacks this year, brought back a guy in Watson who hasn't played in three years. Why wouldn't he be safe? But yeah, it's because it's the Cleveland Browns. I don't think Salah's necessarily 100% safe in New York. Sean McVay in LA might leave McDaniel in Miami after that playoff. So if you look at all those teams, what is that, 12 teams that could potentially have vacancies by, I don't know, the end of the month? 12 teams, at least five of them, are going to have new head coaches. You obviously have the big name with Harbaugh and Sean Payton out there. Is there going to be a head coach carousel? Is there going to be movement all over the league? It's going to be a storyline to follow uh, the rest of the season. But I think we might have as many head coaching vacancies as we've had in a long time in the league. Speaking of head coaching vacancies, we also have quarterback vacancies. And that's where we might start to see some of these quarterbacks and head coaches pairing themselves with each other and trying to find teams, destinations to go to, whether it's Miami, whether it's Carolina, even the Jets possibly. We might start to see that maybe even Las Vegas. Uh, and so I will do a quarterback carousel with all the potential available quarterbacks. I will rank them one through, I don't know, however many I get to uh, on a later date, maybe in a, I don't know, maybe next week's episode, maybe next week's Wednesday episode, probably not this week's episode. I, I don't think there'll be any movement prior to this week, but I, I want to do it before the Super Bowl so that we get it in in time because we could see movement as early uh, as the Super Bowl and start hearing rumors then. All right, let's go through the playoff schedule real quick and then we'll wrap it up. So the schedule is as follows. It starts on Saturday, and obviously we'll be picking the games on Friday's episode, but starts on Saturday. Seattle is at San Francisco at 4.30 p.m. The seven seed is Seattle going to San Francisco, which is the two seed. We get to see Brock Purdy make his playoff debut against Geno Smith making his playoff debut. And then the five seed, the Chargers, are on Saturday night against the Jaguars hosting the Chargers. And by the way, two quarterbacks in that game, Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence, who actually are very similar to me, remind me of each other, uh, and could be really good quarterbacks for a long time to come in the AFC. On Sunday, Miami is going to Buffalo. A rematch again of that game. I hope it's freezing in Buffalo, a 1 p.m. game. That should be fun. Uh, the Giants, the sixth seed, are going to Minnesota, and I give them my, I give the Giants a real, real shot to win that game. I like I talked about Daniel Jones so much on this podcast. The Ravens, and hopefully with Lamar Jackson, I do hope. I hope I'm wrong about everything I said. I hope it's with Lamar Jackson. I hope it's more functional, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be that way. They are the sixth seed. They're going to be going to the three seed Cincinnati Bengals. That's on Sunday night football, and then Monday night football. The game. I I love this. Dallas is going to Tampa Bay on Monday night. I can't wait. And then obviously Kansas City and Philadelphia have the buys. Um, right now, here are the odds. Uh, let me pull that up real quick. The Super Bowl odds are as follows. Uh, I'll go in order of the, the the best odds to the worst odds. The best odds in the NFL are plus 330, according to FanDuel, plus 330 for the Chiefs. The Buffalo Bills are plus 420. They're second. Third is the Philadelphia Eagles at plus 500. The Niners are plus 550. I think this is great value for the Bengals. They're plus 750. The Cowboys are plus 1,300. The Chargers are plus 2,100. Also decent value. The Bucks are plus 2,800. Minnesota, zero respect like we talked about. Uh, they're plus 3,000. The Ravens are plus 34,000. The Jaguars are plus 48,000. The Giants, I kind of like this too, uh, plus 5,500. Um, Dolphins plus 6,000. And the Seahawks are plus 6,500. Those are the Super Bowl odds. So again, they're giving the best odds to, in this order, the Chiefs, then the Bills, then the Eagles, the Niners, the Bengals, Cowboys, Chargers, Buccaneers, Vikings, Ravens, Jaguars, Giants, Dolphins, and Seahawks. Should be a fun playoffs like we talked about. All get started on Saturday. You will hear from me before then, obviously. 
on Wednesday and hopefully Friday. Until then, thank you to all of you who listen. Thank you to all of you who share the podcast. I appreciate every single one of you. See ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a soaked out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got My time's being just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding. I'm still here.